Hey friends, I'm glad you're partaking in this podcast that our church is so happy to offer. Before I get into introducing the the bulk of the content of this particular episode, I uh, just want to say how grateful I was to have a time after worship with everybody this last Sunday, just eating soup and taking pictures. Uh, there's a lot of warmth in the room with these people that have been doing life together for some time. A lot of wonderful pictures taken. I'm excited for TJ to be posting those later. There's a lot to be thankful for, and so in this season of Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for God and His church. I'm thankful for the spiritual family that I have here. Thankful for um, a church that has the resources to tell good news to a broader audience, and I hope hope you benefit from that as well today. This particular episode concludes a series on Jonah. It's a four-chapter book in the Old Testament about a very unwilling and unhappy prophet who is humbled time and again by a, a merciful God, uh, a gracious God, that he, turns out, doesn't want at the end. And so this is kind of the coup de grace on a larger conversation about what kind of God that we have, how he is scandalously just and scandalously merciful, and how he cares for those whom we don't care about. And so the conclusion of this particular episode covers some territory that is very controversial, and I made some connections that I'm sure others have made before, but has a lot to do with contemporary geopolitical issues, and I I also tire of pastors that make everything about politics and what they see on the news. Just know that I'm self-consciously guarding against that, and yet some things really are applicable to what we see in the news and what we see going on around us, and uh, some of us are just blind and our hearts have been hardened, but for those of us who think that God's Word is what it is, then we realize that we have to apply it in ways that the the world would rather we don't. So keep that in mind as you engage in this episode. I Go ahead and open your Bible and, and uh, follow along with me and my congregation, and may you benefit as, as we have going through it. If you stick with us, you know, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to continue to cover a lot of good territory. I'm pretty sure this next Sunday I'm preaching on Obadiah, which is uh, a one-chapter prophetic book in the Old Testament that may or may not have implications for the modern geopolitical state of Israel. So uh, stay tuned for that. And then, of course, if you can at all possible, come to worship with us. The worship is supposed to be together in our bodies, if at all possible. So I would highly advise you to consider that, pray about that. If you don't live anywhere close to me, go to worship in person with a, a church close to you, because that's that's really the level of intimacy on which Christ relates with us. Right now, I'm going to relate to you in the matter, matter of head and heart, but it's as bodies as well that, that we need to engage one another in Christ Jesus. So say a prayer about that. I'm going to stop talking in this intro, and now you can engage God's Word with me and my community of faith. Enjoy. All right, so am I right in thinking that uh, the presentation's not going to work out for the sermon? Oh, we should be good? Okay, so let's get that picture of Jonah up there while everybody opens their Bibles to page 1444. These chapters have been short and sweet and simple. That might be why some people like it. It's not too deep. It doesn't require too much... uh, well, you needed to know this at the time. It's, it's kind of self-evident, a lot of the things, and uh, we, can, we can put on additional meanings. 
Of course, there were no cameras back then. There were no eyewitnesses that we could reconstruct this picture of. This is just an artist's rendering of what it uh, looked like. Uh, one of the miracles, you know, there are many miracles involved in him being swallowed up by this fish and surviving. Either he died and came back to life or he uh, was kept alive the whole time. If he's kept alive the whole time, then God put oxygen in there somehow and he didn't suffocate. Also, uh, according to this artist's rendering, the stomach acids of the fish destroyed his clothes, but not his body. That's quite a miracle as well. So, uh, But we've seen something like this in the Bible as well. When the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, their clothing did not wear out. You remember that? So God works clothing, uh, miracles even with clothing. God is a very detail-oriented God. And as we're going to see today, he cares very much not just for the big picture, but for the small picture, even animal life God cares about, which is quite a God. Isn't God good? Let's go to the next picture. I just wanted to, to kind of recapitulate some of the, this is a timeline I didn't manage to get in the presentation. No, go back. Thank you. So um, we're dealing with the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is the later capital of the Assyrian Empire. Right now, it's just a big uh, Assyrian city. The Assyrians were a global empire. They're like the first OG global empire. I told you wrong last week. Later, they spoke uh, Aramaic, but at this point, they spoke Akkadian. I don't know why y'all would care, but I just I misspoke last week, so I got to correct it. They came on the scene in 1240 before Christ, that is 240 years before King David reigned. Okay, it's in, in the, well, let's go to that map. Do we have that map? Yeah, right there. So that red circle is where Nineveh is. It's in the area, it's right on the Tigris River. The Euphrates is south of there. And it was a land of, of plenty, a lot of agricultural wealth. And so they, they had these city-states that then started taking each other of their over spreading. And then the worshipers of Asher, who also named their capital city, Asher, the Assyrians, the Assyrians, they started to spread and take over other areas. And then they spread out over time. They would kind of shrink sometimes and then grow again. Um, so uh, the blue circle is where Jonah came from. That's Judea, Israel. He was actually the northern kingdom split off from the southern after uh, King Solomon, David's son, died. And they were the bad guys. They, they followed uh, God in a false temple, worshipped these golden uh, calves, bad, bad, bad. God did not like them, but God still sent them prophets. One of them was Jonah. And go back to the timeline now. Um, we know of a Jonah, son of Amittai. This is the exact same guy who was, in, who was alive in 780. He was alive in 780. And so uh, I show you some of the things that come before and then some of the things after. But this is real history. These are real people. Um, and so the fact that this is real... There are multiple layers on top of this. There's a historical, there's a metaphorical, symbolic. We're engaging on all these levels. I think I had one more thing to, for us to look at before we got into the reading. Oh, yeah, that's Nineveh. Okay, so we live in this really cool time in history where we have these nerds called archaeologists. They just go around and dig up places, and we learn. I mean, once upon a time, people really did think everything in the Bible was just made up fairy tales and I, I, I don't have a lot of hatred in my heart, but I hate people. No, I don't. Shut up, Jeffrey. But it's a problem that people think the Bible's just fairy tales. It's very real. It's based on real people. There was a real city called Nineveh. We've, we've uh, uh, dug it up. Not all of it, actually. So those two little circles, I'm not going to try and pronounce them. They are the places where there's a rise and they've been uh, uh, dug up. But they're right close to the 
Iraqi city of Mosul. And so there, there have been people out there for 100, 150 years digging it up. And those, uh, the main design is the city walls of Nineveh. That was the shape of it. You can see where the river goes through, the Tigris used to go through. Um, and then those marks, those dots around the outside, that's where the gates were. They had, I think, 12 gates. I, I can't count right now. But um, it was a huge city, and we're going to learn its population was 120,000 people. We learned last week it took Jonah three days to walk in, give his message, which was, hey, in 40 days, God's going to kill y'all, right? And so he gave that message last week, and then the king got a hold of this message, and he said, everybody's got to repent, everybody fast, no food or water, everybody put on sackcloth, even the animals have to repent, and they did, and then he decided to forgive them, and Jonah is mad. So we're going to pick up there, chapter 4, verse 1. We're on page 1443. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. This, of course, is God choosing to forgive the Ninevites rather than punish them. Seemed very wrong to Jonah, and he became angry. Now, we're going to talk about us in just a minute, but let's talk about Jonah. Why would Jonah be angry at God forgiving the Ninevites. Um, I've, I've given you the answer last week, but I, I'll just go ahead and give it again this week. There was ethnic hatred between the Jews and the Ammonites, not, well, the Ammonites too, but the Assyrians. The Assyrians were bullying the Jews on a global level. There had already been multiple military campaigns. They were very cruel to the people that they murdered and captured. They would, uh, they would mutilate their bodies. They would parade them through the streets of towns that they'd conquered. They would do bad things to their women and children. This had already been going on for over 100 years whenever Jonah went up there to threaten them. And then he was probably, I mean, it seems to me, quite excited about God going to rain down fire on them, kill them all. And God chooses instead to forgive his enemies that have done his people so wrong. Do we live in a world where there's ethnic hatred like that? So we're going to come back to that at the end of my message today. But let's focus on ourselves for a minute, because as we look at Jonah, does he seem quite stupid? To most people, he does. He's already tried to run from God, which is a stupid thing to do, right? And God humbled him by having these people throw him off the ship and then getting swallowed by the fish, spitting him out. He has finally reluctantly gone to Nineveh to do what he should have done all along. He does the bare minimum job, just walks in, says the message, walks out. Then he gets mad at God when God decides to forgive. Verse 3, Jonah, no, 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 sorry, sorry. Verse 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. Kill me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Does Jonah seem stupid here? Definitely hard-hearted. But it seems quite stupid to argue with God, doesn't it? This is really amazing because in Job, you know, Job gets false, uh, done bad even though he didn't deserve it. And at the end, he calls God on the rug and God just demolishes him, just wipes him limb from limb. That is not what God does here. He lets Jonah chew him out. And it's just this weird perverted thing because this is language that we've read other places in the Bible. In Exodus, God, we're told, is gracious and passionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Are these good qualities? 
Yeah, and Jonah is hating him for it, is mad at him for it. I knew you were a pushover. I knew you were soft. I knew you were so sweet. You're a sweet God. You forgive people. I don't like that about you, God. I want you to kill my enemies. Do any of us ever have a problem with the way that God does things? This is where it gets to be about us. Because it's clear to us, you know, 3,000 years down the line, yeah, Jonah was wrong. But how many of us shake our fist at God sometimes and say, why don't you blast that guy? Or, God, why are you letting me suffer? I obviously love you. Take care of me. How many of us, God, why aren't you acting in the Middle East? God, why aren't you acting in Ukraine and Russia? God, why are you letting my country go through what it's going through? We get angry at God all the time, don't we? And we are no smarter than Jonah. As we read about this dummy back then, we're reading about these dummies right now. So part of the message that we need to get from this book is God is always right. God is always right. Does it have to make sense to you? Emperor, does God have to explain himself to you? No. He's right. I'm wrong. My job is to obey, to submit, to accept that God is wise. He is right. And you know what? If he's merciful, great. Because you know who needs mercy? Me. I need mercy. Funny thing here is, was Jonah shown mercy? Yeah. (laughs) God literally saved him. Would have been well within his rights to kill and torture him forever. Instead, let him have a redo. And then he gets mad at God for giving the Ninevites a redo. I'm reminded of a certain teaching of my Savior Christ Jesus who told about two servants, one of whom owned, uh, owed a lot of money and was forgiven, and then called someone else for owing him money and wouldn't forgive. And because of that, the master chopped him up in many pieces, right? And that's us today. We forget we're sinners that don't deserve the forgiveness our loving Father in heaven has given us, and then we hold things against other people. It's scandalously stupid. Repent. Forgive. It's only there that you will find God. Now, we need to go on. Verse 3, oh, he had said, he was being a bit melodramatic, wasn't he? Now kill me, I hate it. I can't live with you being so merciful. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I love that so much. He could say any number of things, and just gently, Jonah, I kind of think you might be overreacting. Are you sure you should be angry right now? That's kind of how I hear it. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. He seems kind of like manic to me, super upset. And then super happy, oh, I got this plant, I'm so happy. I, I, I got a hold of some pictures just to kind of make this uh, more real to us. This is a picture of the plant that, it's, it's not marijuana, it's not. <laughs> it's not, it's called the Racines plant. It's where we supposedly get castor oil from. I am not a horticulturalist, I'm just regurgitating to you what this guy told me, Okay. 
Um, so it's the racinus plant. So obviously these plants get these leaves get really big and they can block the shade quite well. Okay, so let's go on to the the little tabernacle booth. So uh, the the Jewish festival of Sukkot is plural for booths. This is what these look like. Whenever I lived in Boston, Jews, local Jews would celebrate Sukkot. They would build these little shelters that are just bare bones. And then you see there's supposed to be like plants growing on and around it. So that's kind of what we imagine, probably something much smaller than this, that he has constructed. He's still sitting there on the outskirts of the city, waiting for God to rain down fire. He's mad, just saying, oh God, you better. And then God makes this plant grow very fast in one day, big Big leaves to cover him, and he sure is happy about it, waiting for their destruction. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go on from there. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better, it would be Better for me to die than to live. This is the second time that he is talking about wanting to kill himself. A little bit dramatic, yeah. But he's been, you know, he's been through a dramatic time, okay? He just survived a three-day trip in a big fish, you know. Dramatic times for him. But even so, he is wanting to die because he hates God's justice, right? He hates God's mercy. And then, you know, there's this, God is, is merciful to him, gives him this shade, and then he withdraws his mercy, and then he's just, oh, life isn't worth living. And then, you know, there is a sermon for us. Do, we, do you know we live in the most materially prosperous time and place there's ever been? We have heating and air conditioning, which is more than the kings of other ages have had. We have modern hygiene. We have uh, all kinds of things that other peoples haven't known, and yet, as soon as we lose our internet service. Oh, so angry. As soon as the power goes out and I have to, to go without my air conditioning in the middle of summer for one hour, oh, this couldn't be worse. You see how much we're like Jonah? We take for granted God's blessings and then we lose them for just a small amount of time. Oh, just kill me now. We're so pampered. And when I say we, I mean it. I'm just that pampered. And I need to get over it because God doesn't need mamby-pamby little weak boys serving him. He needs godly men that, you know how Paul said, I have learned to be okay in all circumstances. And he was talking as one who'd been imprisoned and been free, who'd been in poverty and who'd been wealthy, who had been treated well, who'd been treated poorly. He says, I can do all things. I can do all of that through Christ who strengthens me. That's the state of men and women who are in Christ we're not supposed to be these spoiled little babies like Jonah. Amen? Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Man, he's so gentle and wonderful. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's being a big baby, isn't he? I have one memory of me acting like this as a kid. My mother had fixed me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, and I did not like the way she made it. I wasn't going to eat it, and of course, what did my mother say? There are children in China who are starving, would love to have this, and my response was, well, why don't you mail it to them? <laughs> and my memory cuts out. My mother's body rushed at me, and my memory goes blank. Because that is what justice, you, you can't have 
a child speaking like that to the parent. And our God is so merciful, he lets Jonah talk that way to him. It is, I'm right, I wish I were dead. What a baby. And we've already renounced that side of us that's like that. The, the thing that's really scandalous about this, Jews that knew their Bible and Christians realize how upsetting this story is because Jonah has, not yeah, Jonah, he took language from Exodus about God that's good. God is merciful and compassionate, abounding in love. That's good, right? He turned it into a bad thing. And now he's using language that Elijah used in 2 Kings whenever he was outnumbered by the priests of Baal and he thought everything was going to go badly. He said, just kill me now. I wish I would die. He's taking the words of a beloved saint of the Jews and using them to be a big entitled baby. So Jews who knew their scriptures would look at this and go, God, God needs to kill this guy. Why is still, he still breathing? So end of verse 9, it is, Jonah answered, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And then here's the closing wisdom from God. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not, you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end? It's one of the weirdest endings in the Bible. I love it so much. And also, think about the animals. On we go. Next thing. It's a wonderful ending. We don't even get Jonah's response, do we? We want Jonah finally to go, God, you're right. I've been a fool this whole time. You don't get that. It kind of ends with, Okay, here's some wisdom. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to repent of your small-mindedness and bigotry? Are you going to repent of your unforgiving hard heart? Or are you going to be with Jonah, still shaking your fist at God and unsatisfied about how he's doing things? I got a closing quote from this author I read. But, but before then, I wanted to do this exercise. Well, first off, let's make sure that we heard God right, because he has this metaphor of this, this plant, right? He says, look how much pleasure you got from this plant, right? Did you, did you make that plant grow? No, I did. He says, you're so emotionally tied up in these things that you didn't even do. And one of the exhortations that a good pastor needs to, to uh, we are naturally slaves to feelings, are we not? That's how humans are. And that's not good. Satan is really good at whipping us around by our feelings. We are supposed to be people who live by doctrine and principle. Is God good? All the time, yes. So do I have any reason to be on this roller coaster of, oh, it's so awful, I wish I would die. Oh, it's the most wonderful day in the world. Christians are people who need to be oriented every day by who God is, so that whether we're having a good day or a bad day, God is still good. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's our way of life, and we can't live that way if we're slaves to our feelings like Jonah was. So God is partly highlighting how silly Jonah is for being emotionally invested in things that he, he can't control. It's God's blessing. The Lord gives. He takes away. It's not for us to shake our fist or be upset about. He's talking about that, but then he's also comparing the worth of those small things to this huge city of Nineveh. It's 120,000 people, a big number. Are all these people made in God's image? The Bible, Genesis chapter 1 is very clear. All humans are made in God's image. Now, yes, they're fallen. Does that mean they're worth nothing? No. To the contrary, even the animals are worth something. I just love that the animals fast, and I love that the animals God shows mercy on. God cares about the animals. As one who has loved and lost 
three dogs in my life. I take great comfort in that. That's not the heart of Jonah. The heart of Jonah is our unforgiving hearts. The main thing it's correcting here is, do we have a way of dehumanizing others? That's what's happened here. Jonah has made, he's demonized the Ninevites. These are people, they're not people. God, kill them. They're not made, don't worry about it, God, just kill them. I hate these fools, kill them. And if we're being honest, we have those feelings about other people too sometimes, don't we? This is where it gets really personal. Because we love people strongly that God calls us to love other people as well. And we hate people strongly. We want to hold on to that hate. But what God says, if you're going to hold on to me, you've got to let go of that hate. So I'm going to go a dangerous place real quick, and then I'll bring it back because I am a Christian realist. But we live in a context right now where if you turn on the news, you've got to take a side, right? It's been the case for a couple of years. Russia's the bad guys. We want the Ukrainians to kill them, and we side with Ukraine. If you're not with Ukraine, you're on the wrong side of history, right? And then just recently, you know, we got the same thing in Israel. Hamas, evil, evil, evil. They should be wiped out of there. And the Israelis, they're, they're good. We got to support everything that they do. Everything they do is perfect. Depending on which news network you watch, it's, it can be the inverse, actually, on both of those things. And it's kind of fun and entertaining when you go, man, they've been, they've been whipping us around for a century, and we still haven't learned to, to identify their propaganda. Sorry, I, I gave some of my politics away there. But the, the thing I want to point to here is, are people on both sides made in God's image? Now, does that mean that we can't discern right and wrong? Absolutely not. And there are certain things in life that, yeah, sure, there's some gray, but there is a clear right and wrong. If you've been listening to me for a few weeks, you know I can acknowledge atrocities that Israelis are doing, and I, don't, I can't justify it, and I'm not going to. Even so, I'm a sympathizer with the Jewish people. I just am. I don't apologize for it. I can, I'm not defensive about it. I'm not going to hate you if you're not. But that's just where I'm at. And I can talk history. I can talk theology. I'm, I'm happy to do that. With the Russia-Ukraine thing, man, I've listened to a lot of things on both sides. And I go, man, this is really complicated. But I'm not one of these going, well, they've been bad on both sides, you know. So who knows? Who am I? What's for dinner? You know, that's, that's not really how we're called to live either. The main thing that we're supposed to push back on, I'm not saying you need to sympathize with Ukrainians or Russians. I'm not saying, what I am saying is, all humans are made in God's image. And what we want to do is we want to make things real simple. We want to go, oh, those Palestinians, they're animals. They're not human. They look human. They're not human. Chase them into the sea. Bomb them to oblivion. It doesn't matter. There are people who feel that way. There are people who feel that way about the Jews. Oh, the Jews have always been evil. Look at those guys from the river to the sea, right? That's what they chanted, all these things. From the river to the sea, it's saying, let's start at the Jordan River and just push them into the Mediterranean. Let's kill them all. If you didn't know that's what that means, that's what that means, from the river to the sea. That is undergirded by a belief, these people, they look like people, they're not people. God, kill them. That's where Jonah engages us. He says, everybody's people. Now, that's not to say nobody should ever be stopped or killed who's doing evil. Christian realism, that's a tradition I'm kind of a part of, says sometimes, regrettably, people do have to be stopped and killed. And that decision gets made soberly, and maturely, not reactively and hatefully. You know, there's a difference between a parent who exercises hateful discipline on a child 
and just unloads and screams and just wallops them. There's a difference between a parent who does that and a parent who maturely, dispassionately, lovingly uses corporal punishment. And that's the kind of justice that I believe that God calls us to exercise in the world today. Not hateful, not unloading our wrath and rage on people, but sadly dispensing justice because heaven hasn't come yet. Now, that's far away. But is there any scenario in our country, in our culture, where we dehumanize a whole group of people to justify killing them? Can you sense which way I'm going here? It's the unborn. And I haven't preached real hard on this over the years, but I've been here eight years, and and I'm very clear on this, if you can't tell. God cares about all life, even animal life. And yet we live in a culture where there are people that will go to a college campus and they'll say, hey, here's a petition I have. Save the eagles. We're going to promote legislation that protects their eggs and nobody can mess with them. And people say, yeah, I'm going to sign that. Oh, I'm so glad you're on board. Here's another petition I have to save human fetuses and so that we can't kill them anymore. And they go, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not part of that. Or they'll have another one saying, here's an environmental law that we're trying to produce to pr- protect plants and endangered species over here. Oh, will you sign this thing to protect human life? No. And what's exposed there is people have so dehumanized unborn life that they care more about a plant or an animal than a baby. Since Roe v. Wade was passed in our nation, over 33 million babies have been killed. For all of eternity, the evil will echo. So I'm not advocating for any law, any policy, I'm just advocating that God's people mourn the loss of life. That we don't justify it. You heard me already. I don't justify the loss of life in the Middle East. And I'm certainly not going to justify the loss of life here in this nation over our most vulnerable. And that's not to cast hate on you if you have undergone such a procedure. You're no more evil than any one of us. We're all born in evil and inclined toward evil, but God help us if we can't even name evil anymore. That's our concern. And that's what Jonah helps us get real clearly about. If there's anything that helps us to dehumanize other people and justify their destruction, that is anathema to the God of the Bible. Anathema means really bad. That anathema means damnable. So Jonah just like every other part of the Bible, suits both liberals and conservatives and corrects liberals and conservatives. Conservatives are corrected because we often, full of hate, want to dispense, you know, I remember after 9-11, the conservatives were just, turn the Middle East into glass. Liberals promote peace, you know, and that's good. Jonah's all in favor of that. But liberals have their own way of dehumanizing others, don't they? We all have, this is liberal, conservative, left, right, Republican, Democrat, American, non-American. It goes to the heart of the human experience. And the message is, all people are made in God's image. All life matters. If you are with God, then you understand that our side is not calling for death and destruction ever. So that's Jonah. We live in a world that makes bids for our attention and affection. We have political and other loyalties that make us believe that the Bible is just not a realistic guide in life. That's what Satan does. That's his rule book. That's his playbook. 
My hope is, we're going to conclude worship, we're going to hang out in the back afterwards, but my hope is that if you're listening to news that is teaching you to hate, that you stop listening to that news. And if you have people that you get together with that are full of hate and talking hate on other people, that you stop hanging out with those friends. We need to be God's peacemakers, and life is really short. So let's spend it well, amen?